0: And something is significant, not just in the sign that occurs in that miracle, but all that the story tells you, and especially in the Gospel of John. And some of you are reading through the Gospel of John with us. Last week was 1 through 3, John. This week is John 4 through 6. If you haven't done 1 through 3, it's pretty easy to catch up this week. One day, every, you know, for the next six days, read one chapter and be up to chapter 6 and, and follow us in this reading, uh, through this Gospel. So John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. That's where you get that commercial, no, I'm just kidding, Um, that coffee commercial. Anyway, uh, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs to which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. You go ahead and please take a seat. Now, there's a couple of things here that people get hung up on, so I'm just going to try and clear those really quickly right from the beginning. And, and one of the very first things that it caused people to get stuck and, and actually miss the point of the story is, is what I call the stumbling block of uh, tends to be around the issue of alcohol. And, and in our culture today, alcohol is is often a deadly and destructive force. As anyone who has lived with an alcoholic will know, or anyone who has been an alcoholic has experienced, you recognize it, you understand that alcohol is a serious problem. But there are some who, because of that, and because of the problems and consequences and pain that come around that, want to turn this turning of water into wine, a story of turning water into grape juice. And I just want to say, right off, from the very beginning, they did not serve grape juice at a wedding they never have nor I doubt will they in a Jewish wedding they served wine and some say it was a less, you're not as you know potent they served, and we'll look at this in a moment, they served wine and this story is not about alcohol and it may make you uncomfortable and difficult but the fact of the story is that Jesus does a wedding party and catch this, this is the part you have to understand where people were already getting tipsy and And when the wine ran out, and instead of Jesus saying, good, now go home and sober up, he didn't say that. He actually provides 150 gallons of the best wine ever made. So all this to say is there's biblical commands and instruction and reasons for all throughout Scripture about moderation, but we're at a Jewish party in a celebration. The second stumbling block. So it's not about alcohol. The second something about for many is the way that Jesus treated his mother in this passage. And, and you need to understand at this point, Jesus is 30 years old, okay? We're not talking about a 15-year-old. So if you're a 15-year-old and you read this and you feel like, yeah, I should follow the example of Jesus and your mother says, take out the garbage, and you say, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come. <laughs> I, I can bet you your hour of reckoning is going to happen a lot sooner than you think. He addresses both woman, which you kind of go, that doesn't make sense, or why do you involve me? They're both cultural ways of talking to his mother and about his mission, my hour has not come. You see, um, Joseph, who was the leader, the father of that family in that business, when he passed away, probably Jesus at an age in the late teenage years, has been running the business with his brothers till 30, and at this point he says to mom, hey mom, I'm leaving, I'm going to start what the father has called me to, which she is aware of because of things that have happened in her past and the signs and understanding that have pointed to that this Jesus was going to be someone who is going to do a great thing in Israel. So as she lets him go, he's basically saying to her, look at my hour to reveal who I am hasn't come yet. And further, why involve me? Talk to one of the other brothers. So don't get hung up on what I would call Hebrew Aramaic idioms or cultural things. This was not Jesus being rude or disrespectful. So let's move to the point of the story. The point of the story is all about transformation. And as I dug into this, I've read this before, I've done some study on this before, but never have my eyes been opened up to the incredible sense that what I call the significance, the deeper realities of this story than this time when I was reading through it, it just, it's amazed me. It's all about the story of, of who Jesus is and how He transforms our life and, and your life and, and lives around us. And more than just life itself, all of creation has been redeemed. And at this moment, He has ushered in the kingdom, the rule of God. And it's all about that that you find in this first miracle. It's, it's amazing what John sees. And as you read through the rest of this gospel, keep your eyes open for signs that are constantly pointing to deeper realities about who really Jesus is and about what Jesus can really do, what he did then and what he can do now. And the first thing that John wants us to see as he moves through this is that Jesus, he actually transforms how we see the world. As you enter the Gospel of John, you are entering into a world. You are entering into passages of Scripture that are just rich with symbols and signs. He's seeking in doing this to transform us to be people who don't just live in this physical realm. Don't just live in this emotional, mental, um, physical kind of place. But we move into a space where the kingdom of God, who is always around us. Jesus said it's always around us. His kingdom, his spirit, the realm of that is always around you. God is always at work around you. When he prays our father in heaven, when we kind of go our father in heaven, that's not what it means. It means our father who inhabits the heavens, which is the realm all around us. And John is doing all that he can to help us to see this. And and when you read this, it's, it's really almost like a commentary on the other three gospels. John isn't writing to tell people what happened in the life of Jesus. It's not some kind of historical account so much that John is doing. John is telling the readers what the life of Jesus means. That's an incredible understanding that you realize he's almost a commentary on the life of Jesus and what it means. And he's highly selective then in the material that he includes versus what other gospels include. The first thing that he selects is is seven signs. They're actual miracles, but he just calls them signs. And these seven signs, as you look at them, five of these miracle signs are unique to John's gospel. They're a a sign that points, like if you see, you know, coffee here. You don't think the sign is the coffee. You look for where the reality is that it's pointing to. And so that's what he's doing with these signs. And so no other gospel, when you look at this, includes this miracle of Cana. There may be reasons. It's the first miracle. But he includes it because he sees something very significant in this first thing that Jesus does. It reveals something about Jesus. It defines why he came. And I wish I could go, I, I had, a, I have more than I can preach here. You could not believe how much I had to edit. John's gospel, more than any other, will help you see the world and look at at life with faith. If you're willing to humble your heart and and look with eyes of faith, you will see with the eyes of the Spirit and begin to see the Father around you present, doing things. But the world tends to say that's just coincidence. Coincidence. And you have to begin to understand that when the Spirit speaks and the Spirit's doing this, you'll start to say, okay, at some point I have to have faith in this. Now there are people who, you know, they draw faith and things out of every coincidence that happens. That's not what, John is teaching you to listen to the Spirit who resides in those who open their heart to him. So many words, verses, and stories have two or three levels of meaning when you go through John. John. And the surface level meaning, and then there's a deeper level meaning. So look at John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana at Cana in Galilee. Now, you, it's real easy to just fly by on the third day. Third day, just maybe, oh, it's the third day, because it's the third day, according to um, what John tells us in, in chapter 143. It says the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, which was a two-day or so walk, which would be on the third day that he arrives. But it was also the third day when weddings took place. Weddings often took place on a Tuesday, which made sense in that culture. If you're in a culture where you can't just get into your, you know, your Lexus or BMW or Toyota or, you know, or so I drive a 2004, whatever your car is. If you can't do that... You have to walk. So a lot of times after the Sabbath, remember, when I talk about the Sabbath, it's not Sunday, it's Saturday. It was like two days away. And so Tuesday night, or in that Tuesday was the day of the wedding. Because in in the creation account, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, it talks about it's the only creation day where twice it says it was good. And so they would be kind of doing what happened in that sense of Adam and Eve, and on a twice-blessed day, they were giving weddings, and it also gave time for people to celebrate because they went to celebrate for a day. It wasn't a night. Everybody came in. Because you walked, you would stay for two, three days, sometimes for a week, remembering always that you're not going to take off on the Sabbath. But if you go and look at this, you begin to start kind of just riding by this as this is just a, a time marker, a time stamp, and it isn't. The mention of the third day is symbolic of something deeper. It is significant. John knows exactly what he's doing for people who know God's Word and see how the Spirit works behind it. Often the third day was the day of deliverance. It was a day where God would show up and reveal His glory when people were in a time of waiting. They were in a time of difficulty. They were hard pressed. And then on the third day, it was this third day that God would come and He would reveal Himself. I could give you a number of scriptures all throughout the Bible, but I'm just going to give you about five or six. Exodus chapter 19, verse 11 and 16. And be ready, says Moses, on the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down. He will appear, his glory will be known, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And on the morning of the third day, verse 16, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the crowd trembled. Well, Kind of go, well that was an interesting coincidence. But God was showing up. Ezra chapter 6 verse 15, the temple was completed on the third day. Well that's an interesting thing. It was, the temple was completed on the third day because God's house was finished. God in a sense was moving in. He was revealing His glory. He was showing up. Go to Esther chapter 5 verse 1, another one. You can just go through the Old Testament. Esther is to go before the queen. Her life is on the line. He can either raise a scepter and say, I welcome you in, or he doesn't, and she is either, at, at the worst she's killed, at the best, she's probably no longer queen. And she's doing this because her people, the Jews, are under a conspiratorial attack and they will be massacred on a certain day. And so her uncle comes to her and says, Esther, maybe, just maybe, For such a time as this, God fortuitously or sovereignly planned for you to be in this place. And listen to verse 1 of chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall, and the king was sitting on his royal throne. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, years before Christ came, makes this prediction. After two days he will revive us. Who needs to be revived? People who are in a position where they're dying, basically. On the third day, he will restore us. Who needs to be restored? People who are in a place where they've lost what they had. So after two days, he'll revive us. and third day, he'll restore us that we may live in his presence, which is a prophecy of what Jesus in Luke chapter 19 33 says Jesus tells his disciples they will flog him he's talking about himself as the son of man that's how he referred to himself that's in Old Testament language the son of man they will flog him and kill him and on the third day he will rise again in Acts chapter 10 verse 40 but God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and I like this caused him to be seen not by everybody By those who had eyes of faith. Those who are willing to allow the spirit to see. Jesus wanted us to know that God places signs and evidence of his presence all around us. There are third day experiences, some waiting for you. His point is this, there are signs that God's presence, if you have eyes of faith, are there and you will see it at times when you need to see it. It's a story of transformation, how we see the world. It's tempting to pass these signs off as coincidence. But if you have eyes to faith, a heart that is open to the things that the Spirit might be doing around you. Take the baptism of Jesus. It says that a dove landed upon Jesus. And I'm sure a lot of people say, wow, that's pretty cool. What a coincidence. Just as Jesus is coming out of this water, just as John at, looks at him at one point, and he, John even says it's in John's gospel, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's kind of an interesting, again, here's a sign, sacrifice of what's to be. He comes and he says this, and he baptizes him. And as he comes out of the water, a dove lands on his shoulder. Wow, that's really cool. And then uh, some are going, what a coincidence that John writes in chapter 1, verse 32. Then John the baptizer, which is really what his name was, the baptizer, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Some people saw an actual dove. Some saw the Spirit of God in that process. Now listen to the words of John in chapter 12. Verses 27-30, through 30. at one point Jesus begins to be troubled, now my soul's troubled, what shall I say? He knows he's going to go to the cross. The hour that he had been waiting for, that would be the revelation of God through him, through both death and resurrection, was before him. Father, he says, save me from this hour. So he's speaking to the Father, no, it was for this very hour I came to this hour. If for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, he says, glorify your name. And then, John writes, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd was there and they heard it and said, some said it had thundered. Others said it sounded like a voice of an angel had been spoken to him. And then Jesus says, this voice, because he'd been speaking to the Father, was for your benefit, not mine. So that I could help you begin to understand the significance of who I am and what God is doing and what he's doing in your life around you and his presence if your eyes are open to it. Some heard what sounded like sun thunder. Some heard what they thought was an angel. Some heard the voice of the Father. So you may be wondering, why Why all this? Because it's the setup to what's going on all throughout John. He wants us to live in faith, to see with the Spirit, to begin to see the signs of God's presence around us. He's continually making himself known in those ways, behind what looks like a coincidence, maybe a fortunate turn of events, or a unique um, kind of reoccurrence of numbers. I had that happen in my life a few years back and I don't have time to tell the story but it was at a time when I got this, I just kept seeing one, one, one all the time on, on the clock at weird times. Times when I was in despair and my phone would be sitting on the on the, the uh, chair next to me in the car, or the seat next to me and all of a sudden I'd see it flash on and it would be one, one, one. And then on a, a day, January 11th, I didn't even realize that a thing was occurring and it just hit me. God has been telling me I am with you through all this. And I've been so grateful to God for being able to look back at that and say, I, I know, even in the most desperate times, and I've gone through this. This fall has been a really difficult time, personally. I've felt some sense of despair. And I felt some sense of um, a feeling, even just being depressed, being honest with you. But yet at the same time, I can tell you this, that I know I know that I know that those things have occurred. And that God's with me. So I just want to say, God will speak to you in ways, you'll see things. If your eyes are open to it, he will make it manifest to you in ways that are meaningful to you. Sometimes even a bit odd. But I want you also to know this, not everyone sees signs. I think people of faith and people who have eyes of the Spirit can see them, but not everyone sees signs. So don't expect everyone to see it. People will laugh, they'll mock, or they'll say that's really naive. But as you seek to follow Jesus through his word according to the things in his word, he doesn't speak differently from that. He doesn't contradict it. But if you walk in that, he will confirm his Word because the Father who is in the heavens is all around us. He loves you. He personally wants to walk with you. He's deeply concerned about what's in your heart right now. Not everyone sees what I call the deeper significance behind the sign. Just look at this text. That's what John wants to make us see. The wedding guests, even the master of ceremonies, you know, the master of the banquet, had no awareness. They had no awareness that that the water was gone and it had turned into wine and what had happened there. They didn't even have any idea. The next group who we're talking about are the servants. It says they give it to them. And even though the master of ceremony goes, wow, this is really good stuff, man, look at it. He brings the bridegroom over, which is a really good thing. Because the bridegroom at that time, they were the ones who put on the, 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 the party. They, they paid for everything. And for years with two daughters, I've been hoping to kind of get that back into our culture. But yeah... And, and so he's sitting there, and he brings back, and he goes, this is incredible. And it says, even the servants knew that it had been, they had seen a miracle. They saw a transformation of water to wine, but not necessarily the significance to what it was pointing to. People will see miracles. God's so good and gracious. But the deeper significance that John sees, he sees not just a, a miracle of transformation of water to wine. He sees the agent of transformation, He's going, that's cool. But what's really cool is this guy we're following. You know, we get gifts from the Father, but this Father, through Jesus, this Jesus, who is God, is doing things that no one else can do. And I think one of the reasons why I think John was so loved, it says, you know, the one that he loved, he never names his name, but the one that he loved, is because I think John... Got Jesus. He saw the things that Jesus was representing through signs and wonders and works all around him. I think one of the reasons he probably brought um, Peter, James, and John into his closeness was because again they were people who were beginning to understand. Peter, at one point, understands who who do they say I am, and he says, "You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who was sent." I do believe as you grow and you open your eyes, you will feel and you'll experience that. Like John says, he's the one he loved. You will feel loved if you open your heart and say, God, I just I do want to see you. I re- Have you ever said that? I really want to see you active around me. Now, I'm not saying that happens all the time, and, and that, but there are times when God will come in those moments where he will just let you know that he is with you, he loves you. The second thing that you see is he transforms where we turn in times of difficulty. I, I, in the face of this difficulty, Mary turns to Jesus, and John is learning how to turn to Jesus. We're all learning, in that sense, how to, how to turn to Jesus in those times when it's difficult. In, in, in verses 1 through 3, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And I love the place of where God puts signs in our life. They usually happen in pretty ordinary, everyday events of our life. It can happen at weddings. It can happen in different places. They happen in the midst of celebration. You know how that is? You know, things are going really well. Things are going well in your life, and all of a sudden, as they're going along, and life is moving along, things happen, and you go, oh, no. You find yourself in a place where you're trying to with all the resources you can muster to try and get through this and and and, and you try and eke through it. And, and the thing that's happened was unexpected, unplanned. You, you didn't, you're just there. The wine's gone. You have no more wine in a sense you have to understand in that day running out of wine wasn't just a mere inconvenience kind of like oh shoot let's, let's get some water now Hospitality was one of the most important things that you would do in that culture because people, when they would travel, had no. There were no um, Holiday Inns or Hyatts or anything. I mean, you would go and you would stay and you would be taken care of. People would have to have food. You often would have to have enough food just in case someone came. And so, when it was a wedding and a party, people were purposely coming, intentionally coming, so it better be that you have all that's needed for the people. It's a major faux pas. And Mary seems a little a little bit more involved in this than you might guess, because I think what's going on is this may have been a, a, a cousin or a relative of Jesus. You can hear kind of as he's leaving um, his his village in Nazareth, before he goes, he says, Mom, I'm going, I'm gonna go into to Capernaum, go to Galilee, I'm gonna to begin to start my ministry, I'm gonna call some people to follow me. It's you know, he's kind of saying, So, Mom, I love you. James, you take care of the fort now and mom before he goes said, but don't forget your cousin's wedding like a good Jewish mom don't make me look bad be there and so i wonder if she's pretty involved in this and the fact that five disciples with him show up is part of the reason she feels a bit bad cuz they were big they were you know they're fishermen they probably ate and drank pretty well anyway they have no more mine, wine wine And I'm sure you've experienced that sinking feeling as you maybe face a crisis bigger than your own resources. Maybe fear failing or you feel embarrassed or you're afraid or what you've planned or thought or hoped for isn't turning out the way you wanted it to. You're at the end of your rope, maybe out of your options, you've run out of hope. The mind's gone. Maybe you lost a job opportunity you were really hoping for. Or the school that you applied to got you on a wait list and you're really wondering if you'll get into that one or... You're still single, and you didn't expect to be there at this point in your life. Your finances have run out, or maybe your health is shot, or your relationship is stuck. You thought it was great when you started, and now you thought it was going to be good, and now it's not even there. We all face crises in our lives, some small, some great. But where do you turn? Sometimes God allows you to come to the end of yourself so that you can begin to start with him. And you may be right there. He may be, this isn't me speaking, but it may be the Spirit of God just reaching into your heart saying, I want to be a part of your experience. You don't have to understand it all. It may not all make sense to you. You don't have to dot every I and cross every T. You just need to believe in Jesus. That's it. You just need to trust him. You need to come to the end of yourself and just say, you know what, I recognize I am a sinner, but I I know at the same time you came to save sinners, and so I just throw myself upon you in faith and trust you. You know what's interesting, John doesn't give us the names of the couple. To this day, we still don't even know exactly where Cana is in Galilee. We know it's close to Nazareth, but we don't know where. So here is this nameless couple from nowhere who benefited from the very first miracle, which I think is such a picture of God's goodness and his grace. You can be a nobody from nowhere, but if you invite Jesus into your life, you turn to Jesus, you begin to say, Jesus, whatever the difficulty is, I'm inviting you to, and I want to participate in the ways that you are leading me, in the ways that your word says that I should do. And Jesus says, man, I'd love to walk with you. I'm so glad that I I can be invited into this space with you. Transforms not only then how we see the world, not only how um, he comes into us at times of these difficulty um, and who we turn to, but he transforms how we follow. If you look at John and you continue in verses four through nine, he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, I love his mother's, just do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. Here's the principle here. It transforms the way we follow. When, when we, given signs and we begin to see God's presence and we're walking with him, we begin to just start coming to that place where we say, whatever you tell me, God, I'm going to follow you. Just do whatever he tells you. It calls for obedience. Transforms the way you follow him. You start beginning to see him work in your life and you go, you know what? You were really good this last time. I guess I'm going to really trust you for the next one. And, and then for the next one and the next one. Nearby, it says, stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And note the six, not five, not seven. We'll talk about it briefly in a moment. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They were ceremony purification jars that you would wash your hands in. So they were a representation of something deeper again. You would wash your hands in that Old Testament Jewish culture, following the requirements of the law, always saying, I'm washing my hands as a representation that someday, someday, God, you will wash my heart. Okay? So you have these six, not seven, not five jars filled with water. And Jesus then said to his servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the very top. And then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. At this point, I'm sure it's just water. And I love the next line, because if it was me, I'd be kind of going, really? They did so. They did just whatever they were told to do. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. I love that. They did so. Mary says, just do whatever he tells you. And they did so. They just said, we will be obedient. We will follow you when you instruct, when your spirit is directing me and you're prompting me, when your word says this is the way to handle the situation, I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose to be obedient to you. Imagine if they hadn't. Imagine they went. Oh man, this is. They tasted. This is just water. They probably would not have seen even the miracle themselves. Now God would have done what He needed to get done, but they would have been left out of it. It's imperative that we do what Jesus says, even if we if we want to see His presence and power in our life. It is our obedience and our faith that unlocks His presence and power. On Monday morning at 5.20 a.m. when I woke up, I was getting up to, go to get ready to go to one of my guys' group. I looked at my phone and I saw a number of texts that had occurred through the night. This is this last Monday. They had been sent. And I, I soundly slept through all of them. I didn't hear them. What I found is that Bob Kleinschmidt had a stroke. He was in the hospital. He had had some seizures that made things worse. He would become intubated in ICU. I mean, at one point, it was very, very um, tenuous. One of the texts right initially in the chain, around 514, 520, somewhere, I think it was like 514 AM, Andrea, our pastor of worship and prayer, simply wrote, because it was essentially just to the three of us, in my spirit I heard that God is attending to him. And I read that, and I thought, that's kind of cool, that's encouraging, that's nice. I was trying to figure out how to get there. And then I found out the price of the flights. I'm going, should we do it? And I want to be responsible with the money. that you know. And I just was processing through all that. And I felt in my heart, God said to go. I'd met with my small group of these guys in their late 20s and 30s. And I asked one of them. I asked them. I said, what should I do? And I love that millennials are relational. (laughs) And I love the fact that one of them said to me, he goes, you know what? What I would do, pastor, didn't call me pastor, but implied, I'd get in the corner and just say, God, what do you want me to do? I thought yeah i 've kind of done that, and you 're right, so I left that group, and I went, and I got my ticket, and I flew down to Florida as I got down there and went into the room where they were. It was like really dark and depressing it didn't i mean it looked bad, and Je- Bob has been struggling, and he he would hate for me to be talking about this in one sense, but this isn't sometimes you have to talk about what god 's doing. He has this thing called scleroderma, which has been hard on his lungs. So there's all kind of potential complications. He has a stroke and all the things that are going with it. And and I called up Andrea and I said, you know, Andrea, I just that word that you gave just kind of kind of nicked me a little bit. I'm just wondering what's your thoughts on that. And she goes, well, first of all, just let me tell you, that's not the way I would think. It's not the kind of words I would use. I said, oh, okay, that came to your heart, yeah. So I said that's cool. And um, I was then at that point beginning to pray uh hung up and I was beginning to pray for hope and for life, which was what Davey Olson, who was down there, they're down in Florida, were there. And, and one of the things when they were there, they said, let's just pray for hope and life, Monday afternoon. And we started praying for that and came to Tuesday morning. And Tuesday morning, there was just some signs of God beginning to do some things. Because I wanted to do his prayer service that, about... Uh, One third or so in the afternoon And I, I did want to do it with a sense of faith God can you give us hope and life What are you doing in this situation And then I got a little email that morning from Andrea I think it was that morning Or maybe it was later that night The night before um, That She looked up She felt led to go look up What does attending mean So she looked up attending And here's what attending means Attending colon, serving as a physician or surgeon on the staff of a hospital and having primary responsibility over the treatment of a patient, often supervising treatment given by interns, residents, and fellows. And that didn't just strike me as encouragement, that struck me as something deep from God. And I remember just, wow, that's cool, because that's one of our prayers Is that God would be at work Through all the surgeons I don't care how God gets a miracle As long as he does it The way he wants to And we're obedient We do what he tells us to do So I'm praying I'm saying God How do you want me to lead This prayer service I go through it And I get everything And then one of the things He's just clear in my heart Is I need to read this To Kathy and to the group Those words So we go through this time I anoint Bob with oil For their healing And we share some of those things And then I read that word And it just struck everyone You just felt It's one of those times Where you could just The hair on my arms. Kind and stood up if they can stand up, and it was so obvious the presence of God was there. One person was having really some difficulty even in this process. Um, I said at the end, let's just hold hands of prayer. And, and and this person has had gone through some incredible tragedy, so I'm sure it raised all kinds of issues in their own heart. And and that person said, I can't. My hands are just so wet from crying. And so he said, that's fine. Put your hands on your shoulders, and we prayed. And, and Kathy afterwards said to me Kevin I can't believe it Because I had shared with her That word that Andrea got was about 5.14 And she said That time was the same time That Bob was at his lowest That began to turn I can't make this stuff up. This is, I've seen God work this way so many different times. And I'm not just talking about in illnesses. I'm talking about how God works in our, our experience. You need to invite Him into your heart. Have a humble heart. His presence is all around us. Do you think He would create this world and not want to walk with you and walk with me? He so loves us. It's so important to pay attention to to, to Jesus and if you're in a situation and you are kind of just got, you want this and he's saying no just wait just wait I, I've got this that's why you trust me you may in a situation where you say no I want you to take a risk I want you to step out I don't know, it could be in your finances, it could be in a relationship, it could be you're single, it could be that you're in a marriage situation where God for a long time has been saying to you, you know what, I want you to get help, I want you to see a counselor. And, and he, and he's just, you need to determine to do what he tells you to do. It's critical. As a church, I think as a church, as we see, as God has been working continues to work, because I, I tell you, I do not want to just come and play church as a nice church family, do a lot of nice activities and, and you know, whatever. I, I really want to see the move and work of God. And if that's your heart, I just say join, join the group and say, God, whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do it. We're not going to be afraid to walk in his presence. He transforms how we serve. I'll give you these two real quickly. There were six waters... Pot's not seven. The reason that John puts that in there and includes this is purposely because the old covenant, the old was all about what, it was good. You know, some transformations are from really ugly to really beautiful like Beauty and the Beast or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You you have like transformers that go from this little thing to, you know, to, to a robot or, you know, you have these kind of different changes that are drastic. Sometimes all God is asking is something that is good to become better. The Old Testament law was a good thing. It pointed out the will of God. It shows us that we could never ever, nobody here can perfectly follow that. You will always come up short. You will always come before God. You will live in a relationship with God that feels like duty. It's a grind. I'm going to try and do my best. Or you'll give up and say, I can't do it. I can never measure up. Those water pots were the purification. It was this whole method of the Old Testament. And the reason he, he doesn't have seven is because Jesus is the living water. He's the seventh addition to it. And John has a story about this woman at the well She has five husbands and he says that's really right She says yes and I'm even living with one So she really has six And here's Jesus standing before Again the living water He's the seventh, the perfect husband The one that will complete it all What he is saying in this As you read this through all kinds of ways In Jesus is the completion and the fullness In him is your full forgiveness In him is your power In him is your life Do you want that? It transforms the way you serve. Some of you have been serving God. You know that he loves you in one sense, but you're doing it. It's a grind. It's not with joy. And the reason he says water to wine, because wine just fills your veins in a sense and you feel a little bit inebriated. You're filled with joy, right? Because we know we're forgiven. We know we're loved. And we serve off a basis of that. And not out of a kind of a sense of, ah, duty and got to do this. I got to measure up. He goes, oh, forget measuring up. I wish I I'm learning this all the time. How do you just say, God, man, you love me. And you want to just express yourself through me. I should just go, boy, it's full of joy. And then he not only transforms the way we serve, he transforms the way we hope. I love this because he makes this little point because he wants us to know. He goes, this is really cool. You gave us you know, some okay kind of wine. Little, It makes a little almost insult. The cheaper wine. Like the cheaper chicken. You know, it's, anyway. anyway, The cheaper wine. But you save the best to last. I don't know where you're at, what struggle you're in, but here is the truth. God always has better, and here's the reality. The end will always be the best when you follow him. I promise it will be the best. He may not just pull you out of circumstances; he may actually begin to. He might be transforming your character right now through this difficulty. But I can promise you, he always saves the best to last. And God wants to do that. I'm going to ask the the team to come forward, and um, we're going to we're going to sing a really fun up song. But um, as they come forward, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, okay? Yeah, I was so bummed when I thought this snowstorm was coming because I really wanted to give this message even if it was like five because I knew some people would be watching live stream Bob Jack (laughs) I'm going to ask you to pray with me Father I just thank you Jesus for who you are Uh, you are the one in which there is life grace, mercy forgiveness I'm a failure I don't do this well at times I, I know that I blow it I hurt people, I know that we all can experience, I, what I'm saying right now I know there are some people going, That's, I, I'm not there but in you there's grace and there's mercy and you can take the water of my life and you can make it wine you can actually transform me Because you are the agent of transformation. And we can get caught up in miracles and signs. And we want to see miracles and signs. Because we know that's just a part of living in the kingdom. It's just natural to the kingdom. But we also know, God, that you have given Jesus. He is the agent who transforms everything. And so if you are in a place and you're you're just saying, God, I need a third day experience. Here's what you need to do just trust him and just say in your heart I will do whatever you tell me to do just tell him that I will do whatever you tell me to do I will live in your forgiveness and I will believe in the reality of your power give me eyes to see give me a heart of faith my Jesus for anyone who's prayed that I pray you would seal that and make that deal true in their hearts and lives if you've prayed that prayer, I would love to have you talk to me. Or talk to someone that you know and just put a kind of stake in the sand. And I made it, I just made a commitment today. Would you let that person know or let me know? You just can email me or however you want to do it. Father, we thank you. And we're here to sing praise to you in Christ's name. Amen.